Well, good morning. My name is Matt Friend, the senior pastor here at Bible Center Church, and I want to welcome you again uh, to our Sunday morning services. If you have your Bible or your Bible app, I invite you to open it to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. While you're turning, I just want to let you know where we are in the series. Some of you, maybe you've been with us all four weeks so far. For others, maybe it's your first or your second week. We're in the middle of a series called All In. What does an all in church look like? And we've seen that all in churches are growing, all in churches are unified. Last week at the municipal auditorium, we saw that all in churches are for the gospel, they're for the city. And next week is Mother's Day. And next week, we're going to look at what two mothers teach us about the church. One of them, just a little spoiler alert, is Jesus' own mother, Mary. What does she teach us and how does the book of Acts use her motherly example uh, to lead and guide us 2,000 years later? So we're in the middle of that series. Today, we're going to look at all-in churches being generous. And let me invite you to stand as I read from Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 32. Acts 4.32. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need, Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. How many of you so far have gone to see the Avengers Infinity War? Who has gone to see it? All right, a lot of you. I still have not had the opportunity to go see it. I want to, but I'm told that it is the fastest grossing movie of all time. In 12 days this weekend, it exceeded $1 billion in global sales. That's billion with a B. The world loves heroes. We love heroes and hero stories. It's hardwired into our DNA. What I want to do this morning is tell you the story about my hero in the Bible. I've got a number of them, but I don't think I've actually ever shared this from the platform. That other than Jesus, my favorite Bible character is a man by the name of Barnabas. Barnabas was an encourager of the early church, and Barnabas is an encouragement to me. I have no idea if that's how Barnabas actually looked. Uh, you know, they weren't taking photographs in those days. I do think that is an awesome beard. He's got it going on there. But just picture Barnabas in the early church. One of the first people we find him encouraging is the Apostle Paul, before he was the Apostle Paul. Paul was named Saul. Saul, and Saul was persecuting the church. He couldn't have anything to do with Jesus. And then Jesus revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. He became a believer. Well, the early church was suspicious. Should they let this man in their church? He used to kill Christians. And so they weren't about to let Paul in the church. But Barnabas came alongside Paul put his arm around him, encouraged him, and loved him, and eventually bridged that gap, brought him into the church. And it's because of the encourager, Barnabas, 
that we have so much of our New Testament. Barnabas did the same thing with John Mark. John Mark was uh, held in suspicion by the Apostle Paul. He had left Paul on one of his journeys. Paul didn't want to have anything to do with him. But Barnabas comes along and puts his arm around him and says, let's bring him in. He's profitable for the ministry. And because of Barnabas, we have the Gospel of Mark written by John Mark. Tradition says that Barnabas actually mentored Luke, Dr. Luke, the physician, which could be why Luke mentions Barnabas 23 times in the book of Acts. You could tell he loved and was encouraged by this man. Now, this, there was a problem in Barnabas' church in Jerusalem. There were a lot of hungry bellies and there were a lot of hungry hearts. The early church, we, we learned from history, experienced sanctions. If you decided to follow Jesus, you couldn't buy or sell. You were held at arm's length. Add to that the political climate and the, the economic climate of Jerusalem. There were a lot of poor people in the early church, and it really bothered Barnabas. But more than anything, it bothered him that there were hearts that had not yet believed in Jesus. And he was willing to do whatever it took to get Jesus' good news into hungry hearts. And so Barnabas knew the only thing to do was to sell a piece of his property. We don't know if that property was in Jerusalem or in his homeland of Cyprus. But either way, he sold a bit of property and he used it as a donation to the early church to feed hungry bellies and to fill hurting hearts. Picture the service with me, if you will. Barnabas is almost to the end of the service, and the apostles, the pastor of Jerusalem, stands up on the platform, and he says, now's the time. We've talked a lot about giving. We've talked a lot about committing. We've talked a lot about sacrificing. Today is the day. And in just a moment, he says, I'm going to ask all who will to come and put your commitment or your gift in the basket. Now, Barnabas, even though he is my hero, was also human. You can picture as Barnabas is sitting there in his seat thinking about how the house really needs to be remodeled. He really wants to take that Mediterranean vacation back to Cyprus. Boy, he could really use a new donkey. I mean, a fully loaded donkey at that. His donkey's getting a little old and, you know, just really starting to get on its last leg, pun intended. I mean, you guys aren't awake yet, or that was a really bad joke. Uh, but instead, he decides to give the sale of his property to the mission of the church. Picture as Barnabas stands to his feet. And as he doesn't worry about what others think, and he comes and he brings his commitment, he brings his donation, and he puts it in the basket. It's about the platform level of where the apostles had been preaching but he hopes that it's an example to others. He doesn't want glory for it. He just wants to be an example and an encouragement, and sure enough, that's what he is. Others begin to stand up, and they bring their gift, and they bring their commitment, and one by one, the church sacrifices and commits, and it was through men like Barnabas that the gospel of Jesus Christ took root in the early church. Now, if you haven't figured out already, this sermon is about money. This sermon is about giving. 
And maybe you're thinking to yourself, maybe there's somebody thinking, I knew it, pastors always preach on money. Well, I'm excited to say today is my 100th sermon at Bible Center Church. 100. I've been here two years, two months, and a couple Sundays. If you minus the Sundays I've been out for vacation, add in the Sundays. I have, I have way too much free time on my hands. Add in the Sundays that I preach to candidate here. Today is Sermon 100. And today out of 100 is the first sermon I've preached on money. Now, I was pretty proud of myself about that, thinking how long I have waited to preach on this. Until this week, I learned that 40% of Jesus' sermons were on money. 40%. That means if Jesus were here preaching 100 sermons, 40 of them would have already been on money. Talk about a way to get yourself crucified really fast in the local church. Jesus preached on money, and so this morning... I too want to preach on money and generosity and giving to the Lord's work. Today is not one of those guilt sermons where I'm going to show sad pictures and tell you no longer to drink Starbucks coffee. We've got a Starbucks coffee coming in right over here, here in a few weeks, and I'm probably going to be there every day. I love coffee. So none of that kind of sermon this morning. But what I do want to preach is, is to say thank you for giving. Bible Center is the most generous church of which I have ever been a part, ever. I want to thank you for giving. I want to talk the next few minutes about what happens when you give. When you give online, when you give on the app, when you give in church, what happens to your gifts when you give? Let's dive in together and see what God's word says. If you're taking notes, we'll go ahead and jump into the main point at the top of your outline in your bulletin. Giving is not about making a donation. It's about making a difference. Giving is not about making a donation. It's about making a difference. What kind of difference do you make what kind of difference do your gifts make? Well, number one, hurting people are helped. Hungry and hurting people are helped. We see in verses 32 through 35 that God used the gifts of the early church to feed hungry bellies. Our text says that not one of them remaining had need. That's a huge testimony to the grace of God. Actually, this goes all the way back to the Old Testament. If you're taking notes, you can write down Deuteronomy 14 and 15. All the way back in Deuteronomy 14 and 15, God told his people that when they came together, they were to be a place that took care of the poor among them. It could also spill over to the poor in their communities. The temple was built, the size it was built, God gave the dimensions because part of the temple was to be a storehouse for poor families. So as you came for prayer and you came for worship, if you needed something, you could also take that which you needed to put food on your table. But we find by the time that Jesus came along, the temple was already used for other things. Instead of poor people being helped, poor people were being extorted. And Jesus came in with a whip and he kicked over the table and he said, my house was supposed to be a house of prayer, but you've made it what? A den of thieves. But when Jesus sent the Holy Spirit into the early church, something drastically changed. 
The church oozed with generosity, and the grace of God couldn't help but spill out among them and out of them and overflow into the community. Hungry and hurting people were helped. It wasn't the apostles' preaching that made Christianity so famous. It was the church's generosity. There was a man born about a hundred years after Jesus, and he was a critic of Christianity. His name was Lucian of Samosota, and he was kind of like the Bill Maher of his day. If you've ever seen Bill Maher on, advertised on HBO, constantly criticizing Christianity. And this is what he said. You see, these misguided creatures start with a general conviction that they are immortal for all time. He's talking about you. He's making fun of you. Which explains the contempt of death and voluntary self-devotion, which are so common among them. And then it was impressed on them by their original lawgiver, Jesus, that they are all brothers. From the moment they are converted and deny the gods of Greece and worship the crucified sage and live after his laws, all this they, you, take quite on trust with the result that they despise all worldly goods alike, regarding them merely as common property. Another plague in 250 or AD 250 in the city of Carthage in North Africa. We're not really sure what the plague was, but you know, medicine wasn't then what it is today. Most think it was some kind of pandemic influenza or some super virus like Ebola. But whatever it was, this plague hit the city, and people were dying by the thousands. Those who were healthy fled, hoping that they too couldn't contract whatever it was. And, and as people were leaving and fleeing, there was a pastor, 8250. His name was Cyprian, spelled with a C. Cyprian gathered all the Christians in the center of town, and he preached a short sermon from Paul's words to the Corinthians. It says, though Jesus was rich, he became poor, that you too might become rich. There were some Christians who, who felt like their highest duty was just to study the scriptures and, and to learn the Bible, and they refused to also serve their city, and the records show that they fled like everybody else. But there was a group of Christians that believed that the study of the Bible led them to the service of their community, and they stayed and history says that they gave and they gave and many of them died. But within 10 years, it was hard to find somebody in Carthage who wasn't a Christian. We want to say to our city in Charleston, our hurting city, if you're hungry, we can help. If we find out that any of you who call Bible Center Church your home are hungry, we want to help. We want to say to our city, hey, if you need counseling, we can help. If you need counseling or consulting for adoption and foster care, we can help. If you have a child or student with special needs, we can help. If you're a widow in need of support, we can help. Why in the world are we doing these May We Serve projects? 19 of them 
This week, we're going to be at the Davis Child Shelter and Crossroads Pregnancy Center and Union Mission Painting, and we're going to be cooking out for the police and helping a small business, Vandalia Donuts, get off the ground. We're going to do a cookout for CPS workers, and we're going to serve at the Ronald McDonald House. Why do we do these things? Because giving is not about making a donation. Giving is about making a difference. And the early church rocked their world when they were all about the word and also about good works. Number two, what happens when you give? Your giving makes all of that possible, but what else happens when you give? Number two, more family and friends will join you in heaven more family and friends will join you in heaven. Verse 33, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you write in your Bible, if you're taking notes, you might write the word impact above power. What was the great power? It wasn't their speaking ability, but in context, the impact came because of the church's generosity. In other words, the early church was so generous that they made the apostles' sermons look really, really good. Now, let's translate that to Bible Center Church. The more generous you are in the community and the more we reach out and serve and give and dig deep in love, the better you make my sermons look. And I'll take all the help I can get. If we can have that deal. Somebody told me one day going out of church, I, I think they were kidding. I hope they were kidding. They said, Pastor, your sermon, every sermon you preach is better than the next one. You said it'll hit you at lunchtime. Uh, what, what, what are you saying? I, I need all the help I can get. So that's what this verse is saying. What we find that the, the, the generosity of the church overflowed that people said, I don't know what's going on there. There's something going on there, and I want to be a part of it. If you're taking notes, you've got to write down Luke 16, 9. And Luke 16, 9 says, Jesus says, I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. What in the world is Jesus saying? Here's the picture he's trying to paint. You can actually give money so that people end up in heaven when you die. Your giving can be used by God to get the gospel to people who need to hear it. Now, just real quick, we understand that it's all in the providence of God. Will God accomplish his mission without Bible Center Church? Yes or no? Of course he can, and of course he will. We just don't want him to. The train's going down the tracks, and we want to be a part of it. And so, and so by giving, we're not saying that we are sovereign and that we control salvation. But what we're saying is this. We serve a sovereign Lord who's calling a people to himself. And when we give, God chooses to use our money to reach people for Jesus. That is a sweet deal. That means in heaven, there's going to be people who may walk up to you and say, the money that you give this month is used in children's ministry for them to come to faith in Jesus Christ. 
The money you give this month was used in student ministry for them to come to faith in Jesus. And they may look at you and say, thank you for sacrificing so that I could be here today. There'll be people who come to you and they'll say, the money that you gave helped this mission trip to go to Kosovo, which by the way, next Sunday morning, nine people are being baptized. And one of them is a young lady who is a Muslim. You gave money to start the Leadership Institute in Kosovo. And a few months ago, this young lady that you brought back and you supported and many of you sacrificed for her to get a good education, she is now a follower of Jesus Christ. And the money that you gave made it possible for Erblina to know she's on her way to heaven. Your giving does so much more than just pay the light bill. Your giving reaches people for Jesus Christ. That's why we're excited about the work of God in eternity. My finance advisor tells me to think long term. Think 30 years, he says. This morning, Jesus is inviting us to think longer term. Think 30 million years, he says. Your giving impacts the work of God. Giving is not about making a donation. It's about making a difference. Lastly, number three, what does you, your giving do? What happens when you give? Number three, God's grace and generosity are glorified. God's grace and generosity are glorified. Verse 33 says, God's grace was powerfully at work among them. There was no needy persons among them. Before we dive into grace and generosity, I'll ask, do people ever give for the wrong motivations? Do you think anybody ever does? Sure, not that you ever have, but maybe the person next to you has. Sure, we're going to look in a few weeks about Ananias and Sapphira. They gave for the wrong motivations. It happens, we're human. I remember a story in Louisville when my daughter Riley was in the second grade at that particular school, St. Matthew's Elementary School. Uh, they could actually run for student office in second grade, which is crazy, but they did. And so Riley was running for president. And, and she comes to the car one day, and she is just spitting mad. She is angry. I said, Riley, why are you so angry? She said, because Nick. She goes, it's Nick's fault. Now, we'd heard about Nick a lot, right? Nick was always causing trouble. But Nick had also decided to run for president. And she said, Daddy, can you believe this? Nick is trying to buy votes with bubble gum. He's trying to buy votes with bubble gum. What, what's wrong with men anyway, Right? Buying votes with bubble gum. So we had this talk, and I'm trying to be wise. And, and a few minutes later, I hear something in the back seat. <laughs> Riley, what, what do you got? Gum. Where'd you get it? Nick. Yeah. <laughs> People give for different reasons and different motivations. But the reason they gave was the grace of God. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich... For your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. When we see supernatural heroes in fiction, we think about how they're almost invincible 
They can pick up hammers that weigh a million pounds, and they can, they can deflect bullets with their chest. But that's not the way it is in real life. Real-life heroes always lose something in order to help somebody else. Real-life heroes always give up something in order to help someone else. And think about Jesus. Jesus, as he's touched by the woman who had the issue of blood, the Bible says he felt as though power had gone out from him. He lost power so that somebody else could receive power. Jesus healed Lazarus, perhaps one of his most famous miracles. And, and, and it says right after that in the Gospel of John that from that day forward, they determined to kill him. You see, in order for Lazarus to come out of the grave, Jesus knew he was going to have to go into the grave. Jesus could not pull Lazarus out of the grave without putting himself into the grave. And if we're going to bring healing to the city of Charleston and the greater Kanawha Valley, it's going to cost us something. I'm an encourager by nature, and so I don't like preaching about sacrifice and what it's going to cost. But this week, the Lord has been working on my heart to say, yes, we want to be a church Charleston can't live without. But if we're going to be that, it's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us power and life and money and popularity. We can't pull Charleston out of the grave unless we are willing to put ourselves in it. The healing of Charleston will come through the sacrificial death of Bible Center Church. That's the way the world has always worked. One of the best pictures of generosity comes in Acts 16. In Acts 16, you've got the Apostle Paul thrown into jail. I've never seen this before till this week. He is beaten. The Philippian jailer beats him, throws him in prison. The doors are shut and locked. Acts 16 says something amazing happened that night. The Lord sent an earthquake. Picture as the Lord maybe even sent angels to open up the gates to Paul's cell. And it says when the earthquake had ended and the shaking had stopped, the Philippian jailer looked and saw the prison door flung open and he grabbed his sword and was about to kill himself because he knew in that day if you lost a prisoner, you were going to die. So he was going to do it honorably. And about that time, the apostle Paul hollers in from the prison cell and he says, don't do it. I'm still here. Now, how does that show generosity? Here's how it shows generosity. He had every opportunity to have freedom for himself, but he gave up his freedom so somebody else can find Jesus. And the story says that that Philippian jailer fell on his knees and says, what must I do to be saved? Generosity is when we give up a freedom, even a freedom that we've earned, even a freedom that God gave us the strength to earn and that we have the right to have. Generosity says, I will lay down this freedom so somebody else can know Jesus. What a beautiful picture of what God wants to do at Bible Center Church. If we want to bless this city, he invites us to give up some of our freedoms, some of our power, some of our wealth, some of our strength, some of our time, so that we can bless somebody else. Giving is not about making a donation. It's always about making a difference. 
If you're new to Bible Center, if you're our guest here today, I want to invite you for the next few minutes, you can totally just turn off your brain. Uh, This is not for you. I'm speaking directly to our church people. Those of you who call Bible Center Church our home, if you're new, if you're a guest and you've been inspired by our vision, you are more than welcome to participate. You're more than welcome to jump in, but please know that this is not for you. But if you call Bible Center Church your home, we have the opportunity to make a big dent for the kingdom. We have the opportunity to do something that we've never had the opportunity to do before in 75 years. I'm thankful for the risk that many of you took 15 years ago. Those of you who are here, you voted and you decided to take on a $26 million project to move from our other campus out to here. In those days, you raised $11 million, which is huge in any economy, and you borrowed the other 15. Over the last 10 years, you've paid down that debt from 15 million to 12 and a half million. The 12 and a half million is what remains. And God has used you, and I am so thankful to have the opportunity to worship in this building, to work in this building, and on this property. We've only begun to scratch the surface of what God can do in these 87 acres. But that mortgage and that debt is preventing us from moving forward and doing some more ministries that God's inviting us to do. We have a city that is hurting. We've got a community that needs us. And every month, we've never been late for a payment, a $72,000 mortgage, never been late one single time. But we've got to do more for our city. And so God's inviting us to take care of this debt. Miraculous thing happened about a year ago. Those of you who've been here for a year remember when somebody offered to buy nine acres of our property. Nine acres of our property for $1.2 million in cash, Uh, plus some more renovations to our our 87 acres. Because of that sale, we have enough money in our bank account, actually an escrow account, to pay our mortgage for one whole year. We don't have to raise that money. It's already there. For 12 months, maybe 13 months, we can pay the mortgage on our building, on our property. But that gives us a window of opportunity. Actually, for the next year, we want to call everyone to the all-in challenge where you have the opportunity to pay dollar for dollar above and beyond our normal giving, and every dollar will take down the principal loan down that exact amount. So if we pay $10, our principal goes down $10. If we pay $100, if you want to give $1,000, if you want to pay the full $12.5 million, I'll let you do that this morning. I will not stop you. But this is a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity And I believe God's inviting us. Our elders are convinced God is inviting us into this moment at Bible Center Church. If you call Bible Center Church your home, can I invite you to give? Let me strongly challenge you to give with me. Yes, pray with me. Yes, dream with me. But give with me. You say, Matt, I I really don't like it when churches talk about money. I want to go to a church that doesn't talk about money. I don't think you really do. Because it takes money to reach people for Jesus. And it takes money to do God's work. Over the next year, this debt will not be crushed through our pocket change. God can certainly use gifts of any size, like he used the five loaves and two fishes. But will you pray with me this year about doing something big? If you'd planned on giving $5,000, would you pray about giving 10? If you planned on giving 100, would you pray about giving two? 
Let's do something so big that it frees us to love and bless our city like never before. If you would take out your commitment card, you had a commitment card on your seat when you came in. And the commitment card gives you the opportunity to give in a number of different ways. In a moment, we're going to invite during the song after communion, all who will, to bring your commitment card during the song. Just kind of imagining the way they would have done it back in the book of Acts. It says they laid it at the apostles' feet. What does that mean? Well, it means that the basket was probably right about where the baskets are today. And as we commit, there's different ways. If there's a way that you want to commit that's not written in here, you can write it in. We'll let you write in the margins. But let me ask you this morning. Let's dream big. Let's commit big. And let's give up our freedoms so that more people can know Jesus Christ. I love the story of Craig and Beth Bowden. Will you watch their story with me? And let's think about how God used your giving in the past to see this happen in the present. Hello, I'm Craig Bowden, and this is my wife, Beth. We've been attending Bible Center Church for six years, and this is our story. I'm pretty transparent with the fact that since I was um, in my 20s, I struggled with anxiety. I was going through a season where I was really struggling and uh, unfortunately it was while I was eight months pregnant. And one day I just woke up and something told me, go to Bible Center Church. And I had no clue what I was gonna do when I got there. I didn't know why I felt that calling in my heart to go to Bible Center Church. Um, but I just did, and I drove to Bible Center Church, and I walked through the doors, and I went to the desk, and there was a receptionist there, and I said, I don't know why I'm here, but I need to talk to someone, and in walks Richard and Michelle, and um, they walk up, and they look at me, and here I am, and I'm really pregnant, and I'm tearful, and I poured my heart out to how I was feeling, and what I was going through. I called him on the phone and he knew I was struggling with this anxiety and it was an everyday, me crying and not even being able to be alone. And I said, I'm here, I came to Bible Center and I don't know why, I said, but I just prayed and this is what helped me. And he was, and he started crying and he was so proud of me too. Um, about a month after we started going to Bible Center, um, our baby boy, our healthy baby boy was born, Trenton. When Trent was about six months old, we started noticing that he didn't use his left side as much as he should be. We were told that he was born with a rare brain malformation and it was on the right side of his brain and that he um, would be affected physically and possibly mentally. And also um, it could affect his ability to walk and talk you know, you have this baby and you think that it's gonna be perfect and you have these expectations and then you're told that, you know, something is wrong. And uh, we were scared. I remember thinking, I know why God sent me to Bible Center that day. Another reason why he sent me there that day is because he needed me to be strong. I needed to have a church. I needed to have faith. I was like, all right, there's why I have it. It, it was Mother's Day about four years ago, and Trent was about two months away from his second birthday, and he hadn't taken his first steps yet. His progress with his therapy had been really slow, 
so slow that sometimes it was backwards progress. And on that day, um, we went to the service, and all I remember was looking up at the rafters and just praying to God, telling him that, you know my wife better than I do. You know how, how bad of a place she's in right now. And she needs something to cheer her up, something to encourage her, something to keep her going. We went and picked him up uh, from the nursery, and I just took him over to the train set and whispered in his ear, choo-choo train. And he, he didn't hesitate. Uh, he walked right over to that train set. And what happened that day was beyond coincidence. It was God. It, I saw it and I felt it, and and I've got it on video to show without her. She had to watch that video about four or five times before she actually admitted it. what happened. To process it, you know, the special needs ministry is just one aspect of our church that makes us a church that we can't live without. We love that our church saw that need and supported that, and it's just one more reason why it feels like home. God sent us to Bible Center Church, and I cannot imagine what we would do without it. It is truly a church we can't live without. I mean, if I didn't have it, I don't know what I would do. We are in the right place. We're where we need to be. Thank you, God, for putting us there.